Epiphany is a time of surprise, a time of the gospel exploding into the world. And, and the scriptures come from the first period of time. So I'm going to surprise you. I want us to revisit Psalm 113, and we're going to do that in a uh, call and response way to just repeat what I say back to you, okay? You, don't, you can look it up. That's fine. Just the first two verses. Praise the Lord. Praise him. Praise you who serve the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. From the sunrise in the east to the sunset in the west, may the name of the Lord be praised. Hallelujah. <laughs> Epiphany is a season of celebration, of surprise, of, of the advent, and it begins with the, the magi coming and finding the child Jesus. And the reason that was so significant is at his birth it said, this gospel is for the world. It's not just going to be this small group of Jewish people in this area of the, of the world. This gospel is for all of us, and that has been the message from the beginning of the Old Testament until, until today as it goes on, that this is a gospel for us, for you, for me, for others. And it's a season, it's a really exciting time because it's the early time of his, of his ministry. So the crowds are large and the people are excited and he's walking on water and he's feeding 4,000 and 5,000. He's healing people. Um, he's, he's sitting and teaching and some folks come through the ceiling and he heals and forgives sins and he's doing all these things. And there's some of the most, my favorite scriptures uh, in the Bible are occurring during an epiphany. Two weeks ago was his baptism where we see the Holy Spirit and Jesus and hear the voice of God the Father all at the same time. This is a really unique endorsement of Jesus by God the Father at the beginning of his ministry. He didn't wait and see how he was doing. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Last week, Jesus' public miracle um, was changing water into wine. And at the prompting of Mary, his mother, he told the servants, do whatever he says, whatever he tells you. And Father Alex described the wedding feast as a sign to us of Christ's love for the church. And a call to remembrance of our role as the bride of Christ by how we love each other and how we serve others. So now we come to today's gospel. Jesus has been out in the wilderness and has been tempted for 40 days. And, and he comes out with a clear understanding of what his mission is. And he actually travels and speaks at some of the synagogues. But he decides, I'm going to come to my hometown. I'll be kind of like the hometown hero. And I'll be there and proclaim my mission. And so as he comes into Nazareth and, and, and comes into the temple, he reads the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, those who are oppressed to set them free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back, and he sat down, which was a tradition of the rabbis. When they would teach, they would sit down, and there was a seat of authority there that he, they, he spoke to the folks. And all eyes were on him, and he said the words that just 
launched a movement. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Messiah is ushering in a new age. This was a pivotal moment in this very surprising announcement that this was a kingdom not of military might, not of some governmental system, not of a new king that would, would be a fair and just king, but a spiritual kingdom that does battle and overcomes the darkness in our hearts. A kingdom of righteousness and justice, just as Isaiah and the other Old Testaments had foretold. The kingdom of heaven is here. It dwells in our hearts and is seen in our attitudes and our actions. Bishop Martin Men summarized this scripture a couple of weeks ago, calling for a life that pleases God and a life that has a zeal for justice and compassion for those who are oppressed. It's about a personal relationship. It's about redemption. It's about transformation, forgiveness. But it doesn't stop there. It's about what that means for everyone. The kingdom of God is both a destination and a journey to get there. Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Our journey in the kingdom begins with an open heart and a response to God's invitation for a changed life. Philosopher Blaise Pascal, who's been made famous by a coffee shop in Gainesville, Florida, uh, described it as a God-shaped vacuum in our hearts that can only be filled by God through Jesus. St. Augustine prayed, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. We are created to have a personal relationship with our creator. And this is where we find our completeness. And our lives then proclaim the goodness of God and the priorities of Jesus and the indwelling and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But this is just the beginning. This is just part of it. We are blessed by God to be a blessing to the world. God started this with Abraham. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless you. You will bless the world. And then at the washing of the feet of the disciples in the Last Supper, Jesus then added another commandment where he said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. The greatest commandment, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. And this is how the world will know that you're my followers. Is how you love for each other, how you care for each other, and become the light in this world. Now the whole counsel of scripture proclaims God's concern for a kingdom where no one is abused or neglected or marginalized or oppressed these priorities show up in all the Old Testament and New Testament. In Deuteronomy 24, you shall not pervert justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take the widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you too were a slave in Egypt and the Lord redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. King David, a man after God's own heart, is noted as, as a, a king who administered justice and equity to all his people in the scripture. The Psalms are replete, replete with references of the poor. 
And how many of the prophets spoke out about injustice and oppression? All of them. That's why we call them prophets and not just good teachers or famous rabbis. They're speaking against anything that is, that is treating another human being as less than equal, as less than having the rights, as, as hurting differently than we hurt, as crying differently than we cry. That God is about that. Jesus clearly identified himself with the marginalized, with the least of these in Matthew 25 in his teaching. Even his mother in the Magnificat saying, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Kind of a radical young lady. The point is resistance to injustice and oppression, especially for the widow and the orphan and the sojourner or the immigrant, the foreigner, is, is not a product of the last 20 years or the last 200 years or the last 2,000 years. It's an effort of God's people to be faithful to God who has always been merciful to the least of these. The kingdom of God is about changed hearts in the name of Jesus and effort to make sure that we're preparing this world for the arrival of the kingdom of God by how we care for others. Now, whenever the word of God is shared, there's an invitation implied. And that's true of any information of sharing. There's an invitation that is implied, which is you're going to accept this, you're going to reject this, or you're going to ignore this. And so in this, in this synagogue, 2,000 years ago in Nazareth, the invitation is applied. The scripture has been fulfilled. The Messiah is here. Be joyous. And it briefly went well with the crowd until they realized that the long-awaited kingdom they were looking for was not at all the kingdom that Jesus described. They were wanting a military leader. They're wanting to be freed physically from the bondage instead of recognizing that we all have bondage that we need to be freed from in our hearts and in our minds. And they got so angry, they actually ran Jesus to the edge to throw him off a cliff, which was actually the way they would stone people. they throw him off a cliff and then push things on top of them. And Jesus, by, by, it's almost a miraculous moment, the waters part and he walks back through uh, the crowd and, and leaves because they missed the signpost of the kingdom. They missed these markers that said, there's the kingdom. This is where we're going. And they listened to other markers and other signposts that were leading them into a different direction. Now, we all know that on, or most of us know that on trails, when you're going hiking, that they have the trails marked. And they have the color of a, of a hash on the tree or a symbol or something that says this is the way to go. And if you see a double mark like that, what's, what's that mean? There's a fork ahead. It's a warning to say pay attention to what's about to happen because you're coming up to a place where you're going to be making a decision about whether I go off this path or whether I go off and keep going in this other, other path. A couple of years ago, in around Mammoth Cave, Kentucky, Kathy's brother and his wife, who were both college professors, and their granddaughter, um, who was nine or ten at the time, and two of their other um, colleagues were going out for a day hike. 
And so they didn't really plan and take, you know, kind of necessary things, maybe some water uh, to go on this. And it, somewhere in the process, uh, they, they got off the track and got lost. And so they're wandering through here. They have no flashlight. They have no compass. They have no map. They have no food. They have no warmth. They're, they're moving. They've got one of them has health problems. And it really was a, an, an incredibly dangerous um, time as they're trying to navigate past cliffs and waterfalls and, and rocks and trying to find their way out. Um, and I think even using their, their phones, I think some, most of them didn't have their phones. And so they were just trying to figure their, their way out. So it ends well. So I was able to tease them quite a bit about how many PhDs does it take to find their way out of the forest. I think they just got out of their area of specialty. And so they were, uh, weren't really quite prepared. But even really smart people can get on the wrong path. Even really folks that, that pay attention and, and are tuned in, if you start reading the wrong signpost and you start reading the wrong markers, then you wind up going someplace that you never imagined that you would go. But the markers may surprise you. They're not in external things like powers and principalities and political parties and books and, and people who are speaking about. That's not where the markers are. The markers are internal traits in Christians that celebrate the goodness of God, the priorities of Jesus, and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Those are the markers that we pay attention to. Now, Paul refers to these markers as a, an evidence of the Holy Spirit in us, as fruit. And these are the ones that lead us on the right path. These are the ones that are pointing to the kingdom of God, a destination, but also a process, also a journey. And these traits are to love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, um, gentleness, and self-control. Now, these are, these are wonderful traits that, that would make any neighborhood better, any family, any church, any community, any workplace a better place that we celebrate because they, they are all pointing us into the goodness of God and the priorities of Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. These are the markers, and they're not out there somewhere. There's not some magic bullet that's going to fix everything. It's in here somewhere. And that we are creating and living and experiencing the coming kingdom in those nine traits. A pastor friend of mine um, recently told me about friendships that he's built over the years. Uh, particularly with non-Christians and particularly with non-Christians who, who don't like Christians. And particularly they don't like evangelical Christians. And so he had a one friend um, recently that, that said to him, I knew you were a pastor and so I went and researched your religion and your denomination, and I shouldn't like you. I disagree with everything you say, or almost everything you, you believe. And, and I, I can't believe that I really value you as a friend. I really, you're one of my trusted friends. And he just would laugh at that. And she said, you're nothing at all like I expected. 
So this is the only way people can know about the kingdom is for us to have relationships with them and exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self, uh, faithfulness, self, uh, gentleness, and self-control. You know, he was a reliable signpost. He's pointing, saying, there's something out here that I'm moving towards. And she is drawn to that just by the friendship. You know, I always imagined that I'd really love to be an ambassador, to go to another country and to represent the United States and to to bring resources and to solve problems and create peace and open communication. And just that that would be a really cool thing to do. And then I realized we're all ambassadors. We're all ambassadors of this other kingdom, this kingdom of God, not this kingdom of the world. And that as followers of Jesus, we represent the kingdom of God in everything we say and do. And so that we need to be aware of the fact that we become the markers that people look to to understand what this Jesus stuff is all about. We're the ambassadors for those who serve us in the restaurants, those who work on our cars, those who pick up our trash, those who, that we work with, those that we go to who are our doctors, and we are ambassadors to them of this other kingdom that, that we are inviting them into. Well, there's some signpost that should say, warning, <laughs> Will Robinson, warning, this bridge is out. This path will, will go to destruction. And so the way to understand what those um, warning signs are, let's take the nine fruit of the Spirit, and let's take the opposite, the anonym, for those fruit. And those are the warning signs that are in error, that are leading us in the wrong way, away to a different kingdom. We're not sure which one, but it's not the kingdom of God. So if we look inward and instead of love, we sense hatefulness. Instead of joy, we find bitterness. We're on the wrong trail. Is there peace in our heart or resentment? Has patience turned into criticism and obsession? Has rudeness replacing kindness? Have influences of the world and divisions in our society given birth to meanness in our words and actions? Don't trade faithfulness for deception or let malice eradicate gentleness. Self-control in our hearts is what pulls us back from the pit of regret. We need to look inward to make sure our signposts are pointed in the right direction. And if not, it's time to repent. This is part of the purpose of confession in our worship, is that we need to bring this before the Lord and say, it's time to repent. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, signposts of the kingdom of God in us and through us for others. Now, none of us gets it right all the time. Anything good that is in us comes from God. But as I said earlier, any sharing of truth implies an invitation. You're invited to accept or reject or ignore. And with you, I commit to try to be a better ambassador for the kingdom of God. 
In closing, a while back at a homeless shelter, I spoke to a man who was on staff, probably in his early 40s, who was a, himself a recovering addict and, and had been sober for a while. And he had this quiet, thoughtful spirit about him as he was listening and asking questions to a, a younger person who was being admitted and, and was dealing with that addiction. And he asked questions, and he listened, and he paused, and he said something that I, I just never forget. I can still hear the sound of his voice. He says, we have the answer if you want it. We have the answer if you want it. These other markers and all these other voices in the world, we have the answer if they want it. His words pierced my soul and on a spiritual level, and I think it really fits our topic today, that this spiritual emptiness, this brokenness, this emotional pain, the things that we deal with in the struggles of our life day in and day out, we bring these things to the altar. You may not realize it, but we have an altar call every Sunday. It's a call to come receive Jesus. It's a call to come recommit your heart to him, your life to him. It's a come to, to, to say, I'm part of this because I, I, I want to be part of this kingdom and I want to be part of this family, part of this, this body. That Jesus is the one who can forgive my sins. Jesus is the one who can put me on a journey of healing. It's easy to think healing happens immediately, but really some things you never really get over. You're always just dealing with and you're in that process of being healed. That's why the kingdom's a destination and a journey to get there. We are finding an answer. We have the answer to this emptiness, this God-shaped vacuum in people's hearts, this restlessness that says, I just, I'm trying to satisfy this emptiness with just about anything I can find, and nothing satisfies, but maybe for a short season. And all of us are invited by Jesus to be part of the fulfillment of his announcement almost 2,000 years ago in a synagogue in Nazareth as he says that today the scripture is being fulfilled. It's being fulfilled in his body, in the church, whom he loves so much. We are citizens of the kingdom of God and proof of our citizenship is a life that proclaims the goodness of God, the priorities of Jesus, and the indwelling and leadership of the Holy Spirit in and through us. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. We are ambassadors. I do want to give one practical um, suggestion. As I said, anytime information is presented, there's an implied decision in terms of how, how you respond with that. And I, I encourage you to invite somebody in your life, whether it's a, a clerk that you've had time talking with and you just want to go grab a cup of coffee with them, or whether it's a neighbor or somebody, to just to, to listen to their story, to, for them to, to be able to, for you to be able to share your story. The, the key to sharing the gospel is simply be honest about what you've seen and what you've experienced and what you've learned. Don't exaggerate, don't inflate, just tell the truth about your journey and how that's going and what you've learned in that process of, of the journey. So I encourage you to, 
People, people are insulted by being invited, even if they say no. I invited my neighbor, and I said, hey, I'm preaching, and I'd love for you to come. And he said, wow, that'd be, that'd be different. <laughs> that'd be kind of fun. And so it didn't insult him. He, he knew that I, I love what, this church, and I love this family, and I, and I just wanted him to see and be a part of it. And um, didn't, didn't ask him again. I just asked him and invited him. I encourage you to invite people into your life and into your journey because you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And um, the old saying, you may be the only Bible that anyone ever reads because you're a marker to the kingdom of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We have the answer if you want it. And his name is Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.